Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legier, and this is the last in a series of conversations that I've had with New Brunswick party leaders leading up to the provincial election, which is uh, this coming Monday, September the 14th. And my last conversation is with uh, PC leader Blaine Higgs, who has been the premier for the last two years leading a minority government. And he and I had a a great chat. we started out uh, on a personal note talking about, uh, you know, surviving our summers during COVID-19 and the time that he was able to spend with his uh, daughters and his uh, grandchildren. And then we dove into the issues. Uh, we talked about uh, the party's uh, decision to cut ties with uh, a candidate that had shared a social media post promoting uh, violence and disrespect of uh, the transgender community. Uh, we talked about the party's um, decision uh, not to fund abortion services at Clinic 554 in Fredericton. We talked about the controversy over glyphosate spraying um, and its impact on the environment, but also uh, the economic impact on farmers and the forestry industry if we proceeded with a ban. Uh, We talked about the need for private sector investment coming out of uh, COVID-19. There's been a lot of uh, government support at the uh, federal and provincial level. And Blaine um, stresses the need uh, for private sector investment to help grow the economy as we uh, emerge from the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, you know, so we, we dug into a number of, uh, you know, very uh, consequential issues for the province. Um, so let's go straight to that conversation with Blaine Higgs. Hi, Blaine. Good, uh, good morning, Mark. How are you today? How are you doing? Well, I'm keeping active. You know, it's been a busy three three weeks thus far, and uh, going quickly, traveling all over the province. So it's, uh, yeah, we're keeping busy. Yeah, I hope you were uh, were you able to relax a little bit of the Labor Day weekend, or were you pretty much going full tilt? Well, we have we have been uh, we shut down on Sunday, so it gives us a little break, and we've got with my my granddaughter who lives here in the province and we have another daughter that's been here for a little while visiting. She can't get back to Thailand. So she's been here and uh, it was her birthday. So, so we had some time we spent with family. Oh, that's nice. So your, your daughter, uh, she's living in Thailand right now. Yeah. She lives in Bangkok. She came home back in July. She did her isolation. She's been here ever since. And at this point she can't get back into Bangkok actually. So uh, um, I imagine there's obviously, uh, you know, a disappointment for her not being able to, to get back to Thailand, but nice for you guys to have her home. Well, that's right. And a lot of her work is done online, so she's able to continue her activities. And, and um, that's, been, that's been good. Yeah, it's been great to have her, have her home. And you, you have a granddaughter as well. Is that your only grandchild? No, I have four, grand, four grandchildren. Uh, three are in Guelph. Um, and um, then this, the one daughter, our youngest daughter and her husband live here in Quispamsis. Right. So has it, it must have been, uh, has it been challenging? Have you been able to see, uh, you see your family from Guelph or are you well, still waiting? they did the same thing back in early July. They came, they isolated for 14 days and um, and we spent time with them for about that period of time. So uh, after their isolation was complete, we, we spent some time for a, a week or so. So, um, yeah, it was good to get together. And they, and they stayed quite a while. So we, 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 were, we were around once they had gone through the isolation process. Right. And that's, that's nice because I know for me, for, I've been sort of one of the fortunate ones in the sense that I've had, uh, you know, mo- most of my family, actually all of my family um, is within the Atlantic bubble. So I've been a bit fortunate that way. And I realized that. Yeah, that's right. That does make it easier. And our, our other daughter and her husband, we didn't see 
her or it's them this summer. She lives in, in uh, Moose Jaw. So um, right. they weren't they weren't home. But yeah, we had some fun with the grandchildren. You know, they're just a nice age. The older ones, eight, eight, six, and and then the one, three, and one year and a half. But the oh, wow. two older ones, they were they were a lot of fun. The time we got to spend with them. Any 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 highlights from uh, from your time that you spent with them? Well, you know they what? We, running? Yeah, what we enjoyed the most, of course. I I'm an avid swimmer, and and uh, and I uh, I love time in the water. And when they, and we had such a hot summer that when I got to, up to the country, we. We spent some serious time, so we we were out, you know, jumping off the boat and swimming under under it, and it's a it's a pontoon boat. So, so they uh, they were of age this year that we could play games hide and seek around the boat, and and it was it was fun. Now, mind you, um, it was good that I could go underwater. They're wearing their life jackets, and I I would dive underwater to kind of give me a little break and get away from them for a few minutes, and <laughs> and, and, and a temporary hiding place. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe that was an unfair advantage, but it worked well. Yeah, no, I know. I, I worked, uh, uh, was one of those people who was working remotely um, from my cottage. So uh, there was a lot of, of those kinds of uh, breaks. Those were the breaks from work. You know, the lunchtime break was, uh, you know, going uh, going out with and playing with the kids or, you know, going out for a tube ride on the boat or something like that. So yeah. it was a, yeah. The, usually it was a lunch break in the city market, and this time it was a lunch break on the river. There's a lot to be said about working uh, remotely, isn't there? I know there definitely is yeah. for sure. And now, now we're all getting back to the office uh, in the fall. Do you think some things will change though because of that um, new dynamic? That less time in the office, more time in the more time at the cottage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was like, I, we were getting you. We actually just came in on the Labor Day weekend from the cottage and, and we were all so used to it. So sending the kids uh, back to school today was was kind of hard for all of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I now I had mixed emotions about traveling around the province, you know, met with a lot of teachers and they said, no, no, it's time we got back to work. And then meeting with parents is, oh, no, it's time the kids got back in school. So they were, <laughs> many were keen to see their kids get to get back. At no, it. I know. Like we all, we all try and pretend, you know, that we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want to keep them home with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of the right thing to say, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know what it's like with kids. Cause you I mean, you raised four girls. It's like, there's always mixed emotions there. You, yeah. you, you, you'll want to see them stay, but you also want to see them go. Well, they need to, in, in ours, of course, three out of the, out of the province and, um, and of course, Lindsay, the oldest one who's home from Bangkok, she wants to do an Atlantic tour here when she's uh, after the election. She's keen on taking a drive over across to Newfoundland. And, and she's, we've been around the province because she's been on the bus with us. And so now uh, she's thinking she needs to do a little further expand. And, and she said, well, I haven't really been to Newfoundland much. And so she wants to drive over and um, do some touring up the West Coast and then over to St. John's and such. So. Right, so she's probably uh, she's probably looking looking forward to the end of the campaign, and she can go off and do a little bit of traveling on her own. Well, I guess so. Yes, that's right. She is um, thinking that that's going to be the the bonus at the end of all this. And I said, well, who knows? You know, I may be unemployed. I may be going with you. <laughs> you 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 may be jumping in the car with her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's probably part of you that wishes you could do that. Well, person can always have mixed emotions about that. That's fair enough. <laughs> we all feel that way about our work sometimes. Yeah, I know. I uh, I think it's, uh, but it, this, this passion for New Brunswick and what we're seeing and how, I just think how our province is actually starting to see itself differently. It's what's exciting for me is that um, I think the COVID experience has taught us to be thankful for a lot of things. 
and um, and working together to achieve success was was a big part of uh, was obviously the key part of the success. And I'm uh, I, I see this around the province that people are thinking of, you know, rather than looking at New Brunswick as why we saw many you know, a few years back that people would look from from outside and say, well, whatever New Brunswick does, do the opposite. Well, they're not saying that now, and um, people are looking looking at us again for the first time. And I, I that's exciting for me. We need to build on that. Right. And then obviously, um, because of, you know, Huddle's orientation, I want to dig into, uh, you know, mostly the economic issues. Um, but, but also to want to want to start just by by touching on, you know, the ways in which the province is changing. I'd be curious for your views, because I know on the weekend that that both, uh, you know, your party and the Liberal Party had to, you know, cut ties with with candidates. And I, I'm just curious to know your take, because, I mean, I was obviously watching this um, from afar, but I'm kind of seeing uh, a shift in the political culture where we aren't as willing to, you know, put up with expressions of intolerance. Um, and I know the province is, is changing. It's becoming in a more diverse place, um, both by, you know, cultural uh, and racial background, but just by sort of an increased tolerance for diversity generally. Um, is that part of what motivated both you and, and probably, I mean, you can't speak for the Liberal Party to act so quickly uh, to cut ties with those candidates on the weekend. Well, I think it, it's it's certainly very clear that this, this today's society there's no world for for intolerance. There's no no appetite and there's there's no place. And you know, while while you'll never never stop people from having their personal views, that that's the diversity we we all cherish. But but you know, expressing personal views in the in the way that it can be so magnified in today's world. Uh, in, but in public of any kind, and that can be derogatory, can be inflammatory, can can be downright offensive um, or aggressive. It's just it's just not acceptable in today's world. And and uh, so we all live in a new time, a new place, and a new day. And we all rely very much on on diversity to help build our province together. Um, and at the end of the day, we we, we focus on our on what we what we. Uh, I'll share as common goals, and uh, and we and we also focus on how we respect individual uh, individual views and uh, opinions. Right. Today, have you seen a shift in in your time in politics in in that ad, those attitudes in New Brunswick? Oh, I have, and and and, and certainly within uh, you know within our party, within uh, within all around us, we see that, and the, the attention that's long overdue. To understand, um, you know, uh, the the challenges that are faced by um, individual um, situations that that just maybe before were were not given the time that was necessary to to understand and to make changes changes necessary is now becoming a, a way of life. It's becoming a part of our culture, and so so yeah, we need to embrace that and we need to move beyond. And I think. Um, Yesterday's uh, when when you know we reacted quickly for a good reason is that um, we 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 have to change as a party and and improve and we're always looking to improve and we're I'm very pleased with the quality of candidates we have across the province and it's unfortunate that you know um, these situations or these expressions or social media makes it easier um, to to do things that you know just aren't appropriate. Right, and I know obviously for you. Um you know, you're, you're trying to, to form a government again and, and, uh, and majority government, um, heading into this election campaign. So it's, you know, it's, it must be difficult for you because you know that these kinds of decisions, uh, you know, uh, could impact, you know, whether or not you want a majority and minority. 
Yeah, Mark, it's fair enough. It could indeed. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I, I started this for a reason. I started getting involved in politics back in 2010 because I believed surely we can make better decisions. I think the time that I've been in office and when I was finance minister, um, I, I, we were doing just that. I wasn't happy with everything decision was made, but we were certainly making progress in that regard. Then became the, the, the change in 14 to 18 where I couldn't recognize any of the, the actual um I guess, visibility and, and, and uh, direction that would allow us to make better decisions when I came back in 18. But, but one of the guiding principles for me is, is, has always been in talking with people to say, you know, everyone won't be happy with, with decisions being made. And that's, that's just a, um, certainly a very common sense comment, but, but you have to do what is right. You have to make a decision based on what is right and, and what, what you believe in. And you let the chips fall where they may. And I think for me, I don't worry about any of this. I, I, the only concern that I have is if, if, um, if, I was, if I was to make a decision that I didn't believe in or that I felt was not supported by, by the reality or the facts or, or what's just right, uh, that's the part that, that would, would um, be very problematic for me personally. And um, so that's my model. That's what I've always worked towards. It doesn't mean everyone will like the decision I make, but, but they'll understand the facts or why. And yes, we'll have differences, but I have to believe myself um, and have confidence in, uh, in uh, a path forward that is, is the right thing to do. I, um, this is kind of related to this uh, you know, train of thought, but um, I read a, a tweet by a PC supporter, by one of your party supporters last week that was very thoughtful. And I know you're going to say Twitter, thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can be, I suppose. <laughs> That's the first, uh, first thing that jumps to our minds. Yeah. Um, but it can be. There can be thoughtful discussion on Twitter. And I, I just wanted to read it to you quickly because I'd be curious for, for your thoughts on it. Um, and uh, it's from a, a PC supporter in Fredericton. And, and he wrote, um, I'm a PC supporter. Uh, but for what it's worth, I want you to know I support Clinic uh, 554. I believe an inquiry into systemic racism is, racism is necessary. And I have significant concerns about the overuse of glyphosate. And the I don't know if you saw this tweet, Blaine, but it, I remember at the time I thought, well, I'm going to have to bring this up when I talk to him because um, it kind of, there's, there's a kind of um, progressive strain through that story that tweet, right? Like there's some, you know, he's saying he's a party supporter, but yet he, you know, has some issues with, with the direction of the party. And I know there's a lot, he mentioned three issues that, you know, are big ones uh, for the province, but I'm just curious to know kind of how you react to supporters, you know, expressing his views um, where he is a supporter, but sees these issues that uh, he's not sure that the party's addressing in the right way. Uh, well, Mark, I guess in the point of 554, I mean, we, we've said that this, this discussion has been around um, access uh, to abortion services. And, and we certainly, um, in, in following the same program that was put together by the previous government, uh, have public access. And, and also we've seen that um, the, the concern around going down a private clinic funding model is that it opens the door to many private clinics. So we believe that we're certainly following the Canada Health Act, and it's important to do that. And I've said if, if access is a problem, then, then it needs to be addressed by our health authorities, and, and they make the appropriate recommendations within our, our public institutions to, uh, to provide additional access. I, um, 
I, I am very concerned that if we move down that private clinic road, then it will open up a whole lot more than uh, than the uh, where we are today. So yeah, I appreciate. I understand the the person's um, thoughts, but that that would be the reason that we stay in the position we're in. In in relation to the other items on the on the systemic racism. Um, so just to give you a little recap of how that unfolded. So I'd met with the chiefs a couple times, and um, and the the last time was was when that they left the meeting. So um, after the first meeting and understanding the criteria and or understanding just some of the details, I said, so what does a uh, what does an um, inquiry actually achieve? We're doing an investigation on these tragic events in the in the north, um, but we also have uh, 797 recommendations from past studies, on which a very small proportion of those recommendations have actually ever been done. And, and they can be different studies of different kind. I spoke to, but there are many, many of them are very relevant to, to in case of the indigenous communities, to, to making significant improvements. I spoke to Gray Nicholas about the, the, the McAvoy report that was done, in the, and it was the ruling was back, I think, in 93 or maybe after that. But, but he was very involved with that. And Graydon said, well, he said, I was involved. I know the understanding, and I know what we could do in New Brunswick right now in terms of our justice system. And then I spoke to other communities about what they have in place with their crisis management. So, so where I was looking is let's have a balance here. Let's get on with things we can do right now. Let, let's, we already know about issues that are, are been, let's say, promoted and are in position. In this case, it's Nova Scotia in this particular justice system that we can make happen today and we can start moving. And then on the other, other side, and Graydon said he would participate I said, if Graydon participated and we had, you know, a couple members from government, a couple members from the First Nation, let's define what an inquiry of, of uh, systemic racism would actually look like. What would we be trying to achieve that, that are not already recommendations that we already have but never acted on? And how do I engage then more support across the country? So because it's just not New Brunswick. This is this is every province and and this is this is our federal government who administer many of these programs, and 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 so it wasn't. I mean, I agree. There is indeed uh, a racism issue here, and a systemic racism is alive and well um, across our country, and we need to address it. But but those were the two paths I wanted to go on. So it's not you know it's it's my nature. Maybe it's as it an engineer, and people would say it's my fault. Um, I like to know what is actually we're trying to achieve, what's the mechanisms to achieve it. And then, then let's have a timeline to actually get something done. So I thought there's two parallel paths we can go on. And it seemed like, and it wasn't unanimous. I appreciate the chiefs all left together, but I am also very com comfortable and confident that they didn't all want to go uh, because we were having good discussions about real issues and real action. And I don't just put a name on something. I want the, I want, remember that old commercial about Ford, the quality goes in before the name goes on. I like to know what the quality is going to go in, what do we want for results, and then we say we're doing it. That was that's where I was. So I wasn't walking away from it. I'm not not ignoring it. I believe we just need to have a, a path forward. Now, and I hope to have the opportunity to get back at that. The other issue um, was on uh, on, on uh, glyphosate, and and so we have an all party committee already in place. Did that about a year ago. Um, 
and it was to analyze all of the impacts of glyphosate. It is it is approved by by, by Canada Health, so it's not it's not a banned substance at all. Um, it is a huge impact on our forestry sector if we just outright ban it. But let's understand what indeed are the concerns, and are there changes we can make in how it's being used. And, and so I think the numbers are about less than 6% of, of forestry land in our province is sprayed on a given year. And then that piece of land is only sprayed once more in its, in its entire growth cycle. So it's twice in the 30 or 35 or 40 years. Um, maybe we can move back from waterways because we know that's a concern, um, areas of population, but there isn't a health risk that is being identified by Canada Health. In addition, Forestry is a minor component of the use of glyphosate. The, the major use, usage is in the farming, agriculture sector, all over our province, and particularly in the potato fields. So, so this, is, this isn't a flippant decision you, you can make on, on the campaign trail. This is something that needs to be well understood because the impacts are huge, and, and we, need, we just need to base it on facts. And that's, that's where we stand as a party. Um, and I, I, I stand on that philosophy on anything that I'm going to look at or address. Right. And I, and I appreciate that. And I know I was throwing a lot at you because that, that tweet touched on some, you know, some pretty big issues, um, you know, um, respectfully, of course, but touched on some some big issues. And, it, you know, Blaine, it, it really feels like, you know, I know every era is complicated, but it really feels like, you know, we're in that it is a really complicated time where, I mean, he, he's touching on, you know, big environmental questions and economic questions. He's touching on issues of systemic racism and he's touching on issues like, you know, women's access to, to abortion services and how, where they feel comfortable accessing those services. Um, and and it, it, there seem to be a lot of values, questions that he touched on in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, good, and absolutely and, and appropriately, uh, appropriate to do so. The, um, on that, on the, uh, the glyphosate question, I know that we also, um, in some of our reporting we did last week, you know, the, the, the farming community, obviously, across the province, you know, spoke out about taking a kind of measured approach to that one, because obviously there's huge uh, economic implications uh, with a ban if there isn't something that can be used in its place. That's correct. That's correct. That's why, that's why it is, this isn't a decision that should be made by politicians on a campaign trail arbitrarily. Um, just shifting shifting gears into more questions of the economy because I realized that um, that uh, I, you know, I have to let you get about your campaigning. <laughs> uh, what what are kind of some of the broader what are your kind of economic priorities if you're reelected? Uh, looking at that broader op- economy and opportunities for growth for the province. So I think that you know certainly we were we were in good as good a place as we could have been leading into this pandemic because we we did have a balanced budget. Uh, we had a surplus of about 100 million. We were paying down the debt of about 130. So obviously that didn't happen, but it allowed us some cushion uh, to, uh, to to do the uh, actual manage through it. We had about a 600 million dollar swing in our overall revenue in the province. So we have a deficit of about 300 million. Uh, we've, we're on that same program on our budget, so we're spending the same levels that we were before uh, in our budget. We just don't have the quite the revenue to support it, so we will run a deficit right now. Um, the, uh, the, the areas that we're certainly focused on, we changed them. Um, uh, the population growth is a big one because we, we know we, every, all over this province, people are suffering, 
uh, with trying to get people back into the workforce. And, and the CERB program, of course, is, is something that we're getting it from the Chamber of Commerce, that that needs to be ended because we have work and we need people to go back to work, but they're finding it very difficult to, to find, find workers. Also, the temporary farm workers are, or to make them become permanent, have families that actually can come here and live here and, and raise their family here and work in the many jobs that are available. So changing and working with the federal government to, to enhance that program, to allow that to happen. Is, is a very big focus. And some some companies are doing that already. Um, we know up in Shipman, uh, that's that's happening. We know it's happening up in St. Quentin and it's happening in uh, in St. George. So so those areas would be, um, for additional workplace, would be very much on the, on the front burner. The other thing we put together is um, what we've learned with COVID in, in the case of, of doing things differently as a government, whether it be uh, how we react um, in healthcare services, the virtual appointments that have now become a way of life that we've only talked about for the last 10 years. Um, you know, the, the, the ability for us to um, move people out of, um, out of the hospitals and place them in nursing homes. Uh, we did that in kind of expeditiously, getting ready for a possible outbreak, which we still have to be ready for. The fast attack approach where we put key people in a in position to just go after um, the healthcare uh, co- uh, contact or a breakout in an area like we did in Camelton to track it down and, and control it. The navigator program that we put in place uh, in ONB, which is basically um, working with businesses, and at this point I think they worked with like seven thousand or so uh, to address their particular concerns. Now that doesn't mean it's it's all about just how much money can we send a particular business. It's how do we look at your situation, and we do have a loan program set up and interest-free or deferred interest to, to help businesses survive COVID, but, but what is the opportunity to thrive in COVID? And some businesses have done that. They've done it, you know, the building, renovation, construction. Uh, we've seen things have, have certainly picked up there, certainly in the, in the last few months. But, but what, what opportunities exist in businesses to expand their capability, whether it be, you know, for greater market share, uh, whether to be to get online and have better access. Um, we're seeing things change in our province that are going to promote that. Um, we as a province are tendering contracts now that are more, let's say, suitable for New Brunswick companies. And our New Brunswick companies' rate of success of, uh, of winning contracts has gone from 50% to 80%. And that means we, when we spec a project, we say, is it, is it, are we using New Brunswick materials are we right-sizing it for New Brunswick companies? Because a lot of things we were doing, we had such big projects that a smaller company couldn't put up the bonds and, and take the liability. And we were putting too much risk on these companies to even even tender, which is pretty sad, pretty sad state. Um, so so it's, it's developing foreign markets. I mean, we have an office set up now in India, um, and that is looking at not only immigration aspect, but foreign investment. We've seen some foreign investment coming. Uh, I mean, I often speak of, of the, uh, um, the apple grower in, in, uh, up in the Bactusha area that, that intends to be the largest exporter of Honeycrisp apples by 2025, largest exporter in Canada uh, by 2025 to Europe. And, and they just started, let's say, four years ago with no government money, uh, but bringing investment into our province and just see our climate as an ideal uh, to, to make things happen and, and, uh, and deliver a product into a, basically in Europe and, and, uh, and, back, and back into India. So the, the, the point 
I guess, that we look at is how do we build sustainable growth? Not a philosophy of can I throw taxpayers' dollars at this and build a false economy, or can I build a sustainable economy with investments where they're going to create a long-term employment in that community? That philosophy is something government should have been on long ago. Uh, but you can see some very different opinions in that regard, and we've seen it. You know, just promise to build everything, promise everything to everybody, and and our economic growth will have a short-term surge, but no long-term potential. So there's a different philosophy there. We also are looking uh, at the SMRs. That's been ongoing now for about six years. That is a, a, a big, huge project that requires significant federal contributions. We have uh, lined up that contribution. We will also be participating, but it's not. Uh, so we, we're going to invest, continue to invest as a province because the previous government invested as well. Um, but but the po- point is that this could provide a world energy solution and we could be a major manufacturer here because we have the land, we have the permits, and we have nuclear experience. And we're working with the other bigger provinces because the Canada wants to see this, the federal government, as a as a pan-Canadian approach, and one that's going to be like going back to the Candu reactors of yesteryear, um, that we looked at a Canadian approach here for inter- world energy source development and supply. These reactors, and you may know about this, but one technology uses spent fuel, which is going to alleviate the current uh, waste fuel um, reservoirs that we have. And, and both technologies have much, much higher production of, of energy to, to the fuel usage, and they are, do not have the risk of, of runaway. They, they shut down. If there's a problem, they just shut down, and, uh, and there's, there's not this uh, um, explosive nature that we have, we, have, we have witnessed around the world uh, with the older technologies. So ONB and I did it during the state of the province, uh, laid out you know, um, a, a, a strategy as we move forward, it was, it was, and, and we're just following that. I'm not inventing anything on the campaign bus. Um, we had a plan we developed over the past two years. I presented it in the state of the province. I put a budget together back in March, and we presented that. Um, it was voted on. We are still following that, even though our, our revenue source is much less, but we are still spending the same levels because we must during this COVID. You know, when I asked if I could balance a budget in two years, I basically said, I don't think so. Um, and people would thought that was shocking to come out of me um, because it's easy to say whatever people want to hear. I'll say what I believe. And uh, do I hope that I could do that? Sure, I do. I, I would probably more so than anyone. But, but uh, the reality is we have to watch our recovery. And right now we're seeing our recovery lead the country. Uh, first and second with with um, PEI. But we're seeing people look at New Brunswick again for investment. I am pushing for private sector investment to rebuild our province and, and not just keep thinking about if I have to expand, I need to have government support. Maybe in some cases you do. We need to return on that investment for the tax dollars because taxpayers can't keep funding economic growth, but they we can keep promoting and building the environment for people to look at New Brunswick as the best place to invest. And, and the more that I'm able to reduce taxes, uh, be more accommodating within the public service to help people navigate through our bureaucracy or change bureaucracy or change specifications to allow our businesses to move. That's our goal. We're working with many to achieve great. 
I'm uh, just uh, reading and uh, related to your your points. I'm just uh, reading the the latest book, Donald Savoy's book on on uh, Irving Oil and and Casey and Arthur. And um, I'm kind of reading the section now where uh, he's writing about Irving Oil's growth, uh, rapid growth through the depression, um, and and the you know and the idea that um, Casey just kept building and investing all the way through the depression to grow companies when all around them, you know, much like COVID, right? Uh, uh, there was a lot of hardship and, and, and people were afraid to make those investments and we were losing a lot of businesses. Uh, and what kind of struck me about that um, was that kind of entrepreneurial spirit um, that would have carried them through that time. And I'm curious, cause I know obviously you have a long history of working with Irving oil. Do you, do you see that atmosphere in, in New Brunswick around, uh, private sector investment and and taking those you know smart risks, but but the ones that that will allow us to emerge from this stronger. I absolutely see the the similarities there, and and I believe that's that's why I'm excited about the confidence that people are seeing in New Brunswick. I think the COVID experience um, has has given us a renewed interest in our province, a renewed confidence in our province, and people looking at New Brunswick once again um, as a place for investment, a place to to move, live, and work. Um, you know, we can go back to you know, a few years ago with national, excuse me, national articles that were saying, well, whatever's going on in New Brunswick, do the opposite. Well, they're not saying that now. And, um, and I think that we can really capitalize on this momentum because in many ways, it's about, um, it, it's about having a, uh, an attitude adjustment. It's about the, the thinking that, yes, we can. And, and for me, some of one of the significant motivators for me that may may sound a little little strange is that if someone tells me I can't do something, that we're not capable or we just can't do that, we can't be that good in New Brunswick, that's what really gets me going to say, oh, yes, we can, and we're going to surprise a lot of people. So building that confidence is not only in the throughout government so that we're, we're seeing that the people in, in the system that are providing service, and, and when you relate to the Irving model, you remember some of the, 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 um, the uh, sayings used to be like the Customer is always right. Service means everything. Well, I see every taxpayer in the province as, as customers. And everyone that works for the province is a service provider. And we all need to be engaged in that service uh, provision. And, and Mark, I, I would just reference a, a letter I received this week uh, from an employee of MB Liquor, long-term employee that basically said to me, very happy with how things had gone through the COVID crisis, and, and, uh, but wanted to, you know, even though they were working, through it all, when customers were coming in, many were home getting paid through serve when they were working. Uh, he never felt like he was working for MB, MB Liquor. He said uh, he felt like he was working for the province. He was working to help people continue to live and move in, in COVID. And, and he was doing his part. And you know, that is bang on because that is exactly the attitude that we need to have is that no matter what you do or where you do it, you're doing it to the best of your ability and it's making an impression on somebody uh, of just how good we can be uh, because we're all doing it just a little bit more. And I'm, that's what excites me because that potential is so real. And that's why we're in an election right now. Because three weeks ago, I wanted to carry on with this COVID experience. And I said, we don't need an election, but we need stability. We need to cap capitalize on what we're seeing with the, with the renewed interest, the renewed confidence and, and the, the, the pride uh, of our province and our people in our province, in our province. So how do we keep that rolling? 
So my, my purpose in those meetings with my other leaders was say is let's, let's take this COVID cabinet committee model and let's turn it into other topics. Let's say, look at economic recovery. The biggest barrier to success in many ways has been the tremendous volatility in what, what uh, we need to do. You know, there's some just tax more, spend more, and life will be good. Well, we know there's a defined end to that. You, you know you couldn't do that in any real situation in life. Uh, so why can you do it in politics? You, you, you ultimately can't. So then you get into, could we do this and have some defined um, big ticket items that we're going to get aligned on. So it doesn't matter who gets elected in two years because uh, we have the big ticket items that were in alignment. And the other issues would be would be less important as such. So we got talking about that, got into some real details, and then the liberals didn't come back because they don't want to talk details. They don't want to talk about the survival of our, our province. They want to talk about the, really the, their, their own party survival. And for me... It's, you know, we win the election. That's great. We have a plan. We'll, we'll implement it and we'll work with every citizen in this province to do just that in every corner of this province. Um, if we don't win the election, um, then I guess it's, it's uh, we go around and around in the political process that has not served us well over the number of generations. Right. I appreciate your time a lot. So I'll just, I'll close with one question that's connected to that, that point you just made, which is, in my conversations with uh, David Kuhn and, and Chris Austin, uh, they expressed, uh, you know, and obviously from a political point of view where they sit, um, you know, great enthusiasm for uh, minority government and, and the fact that it's actually the best way forward for the province is to force the parties, you know, to collaborate and work together. And the minority uh, government does that best. Uh, you know, if after Monday, um, you know, you, you find yourself in that situation again, uh, are are you? Would you be enthusiastic, and would you just pick up where you left off before the election, and and keep on working together in that way? Well, Mark, I think the it, I have to see what the outcome of the election is, and what what uh, what I'm what I'm left to. And who knows? Maybe I'm not in a position to make that decision. Um, but but uh, I have to see a path that's going to get results for our province. I, I, I have to see a path that, that, that is not going to just see us spend time in endless debate in, in the legislature and the political games being played. Um, I have to see a path where, where the opposition is not spending every waking hour just trying to criticize and find fault rather than meaningfully contribute. Um, so there's, I guess there's a number of conditions around what works for me and what doesn't and how we can really drive forward in a meaningful way. Uh, I'm obviously hoping for a majority because people know me now. I'm I'm no surprise to anyone. I think I've been very consistent in my what I how I believe our province can move forward. I think I've demonstrated the the willingness to work with people throughout the province, and um, and I I need the uh, the opportunity to provide stability for the next four years and do so in the best interests of our our province, growing its economy and growing its uh, future together. Um, that's what I couldn't get from the parties that we could have stability because I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know we'll get an outbreak here, when we'll get a vaccine, but I'm not, I'm not prepared to just sit in for two years and go around and around uh, wondering if we can actually keep moving because keep moving we must. And I'm hoping that on Monday there, I get a clear mandate in how we can do just that and our province will excel like it has never done before. And it won't be from me inventing stuff. It's going to be from me working with people and professionals and business owners all over this province 
to just be a little bit better and have a little more optimism and find those markets that's going to cause them to grow, expand, invest, and, and bring people home as part of the process. I am excited about our future. Monday is going to make a huge difference if we're able to uh, maximize on the potential. All right. Well, thanks very much, Blaine. I, I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome, Mark. Have a, have a great day. This is a wonderful speaker. Do we get to keep this thing? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my conversation with uh, Blaine Higgs, leader of the Progressive Conservative Party. And that speaker that uh, Blaine was referring to at the end is actually uh, the microphone that we supplied to record this podcast with. And I guess uh, Blaine was uh, quite liked it. Um, and I know that he's he's known for, uh, you know, uh, cost consciousness and government and controlling costs. But I, I, I've got a feeling that, uh, you know, we did go pick up that mic. So I think that he he might actually uh, make sure that that's in the, in the next budget for his office. It's a nice podcast mic like that. And thank you very much, Blaine. I really uh, enjoyed that chat. Uh, and uh, best of luck on Monday as uh, best of luck to all of the candidates in the race. So that concludes our special series of interviews with uh, party leaders. And you can actually listen to the others online if you, uh, if you haven't heard them yet. Uh, you can find them on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcast. And you'll also find them archived on our website uh, at www.huddle.today under the uh, podcast button and the menu at the top of the page. And there you'll find conversations with uh, Kevin Vickers, the leader uh, of the Liberal Party, Chris Austin, leader of the People's Alliance, David Kuhn, leader of the Green Party, and uh, Mackenzie Thomason, leader of the NDP. And, and thank you uh, to all of you for uh, taking the time to chat with me. Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, uh, Tyler McLean, and uh, Sharice Letson. And uh, next week, we will return to our uh, regular uh, podcast schedule uh, now that the, uh, the election campaign is coming to end, an end. So we will uh, talk to you next week.